welcome to the Huntback Hunter podcast today, and thank you so much for tuning in. Our guest on this episode is one of you. This is a listener story. And honestly, one of my favorite things about this podcast has been talking to very experienced and well-known hunters over the years. But more often than not, these listener stories I enjoy just as much, if not more, and also take a lot away from them. This particular listener, as you'll hear, has been hunting elk for more than a handful of years, but has little to show for it. That is, if you consider only what matters to be filled tags. But he takes a lot more from his experiences, it's made him a better man, and he has gotten great value from all the years of hunting, even if it hasn't ended up with a bunch of trophies on the wall or a bunch of meat in the freezer. As much as we can learn from the guys who have experience and are successful, we also learn from mistakes and we learn from the struggle. And so there's so much to take away in this episode. I so appreciated his openness to share his story, his mindset, and how he continues to push hard in the face of difficulty. If you're a struggling elk hunter or just looking to have more success, you'll no doubt take away something from this one. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If there's anything we can help you with, or if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. But right now, let's dive right into this episode with Ben. Yeah. Um... You, know, you and I talked about, you know, just the, you know, the, the seven year elk hunter type of a uh, scenario or cliche. And you hear a lot of times how the average takes an average of six years to, to maybe bag your first elk. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I kind of relate, I do relate to some of those. I think you had a podcast a couple of days or a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about hiking, uh, with a gun or, or camping with a gun or, um, you know, you're not even out there hunting at a point, you're just out there exploring and glorified scouting. But, uh, you know, a lot of how I was raised here in Southwest Iowa, you know, grew up, uh, just outside of Omaha here on a, in a rural, uh, like on a horse farm and, Shotgun season, whitetail hunting is obviously, you know, land of giants is Iowa and had a great opportunity starting hunting at a young age and getting out, you know, we, we did the pushing and the driving, you know, you, you sit at the end of a timber and a few guys push deer, um, through the timber. And, you know, as a kid, that's really exciting. And I was able to, to bag uh, a few nice whitetail um, mature whitetails that way, but it was really easy. And then, you know, we never really grew up eating deer or including that into our diet. You know, we'd make jerky and stuff, but we donated a lot of it to friends who, who really enjoyed it. Um, and just overall, um, you know, it was just something we did. It was, it was part of the community. You know, there's always the, the orange armies around where some of these guys would circle timbers and uh you have bullets flying over your head and, so and crazy. It's, just, it's just the way you did it right no questions asked and and eventually you know i started uh you know getting out of high school i went to iowa state university on a track and field scholarship um and then after that signed on with a prominent construction and engineering company and as a safety professional and, and we, uh, they took me to Anchorage, Alaska for my first project, the first assignment. So where I got to spend the next six years and as a Midwest, uh, rural Iowa kid who thought he was an outdoorsman, um, I realized really quick, um, there are multiple, there, there are different definitions of outdoorsmen. Kind of curious, like growing up in Iowa, like what were you aware of? Like even not even just Alaska, but even Western hunting as we get into talking elk hunting here. Like, was that on your radar? Did you see that in outdoor life or something like that? Did you know anybody who kind of went out West to hunt or was it just kind of really not part of? Yeah. My, of? my stepdad who got me into to hunting, you know, he was a big Western hunter. They'd take the horses out and they'd pack in uh, wall tents and, 
in with him and his buddies and they were successful. You know, they know how to go, go in and get elk. He'd go up to Canada and Idaho and chase black bear with his bow. And, and I was just kind of at that age when he was in his prime doing that, you know, it's probably like you and I now, right. It's hot and heavy and, 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 you know, the kids, uh, not quite ready, but, um, you know, by the time he was kind of getting out of it, I was ready to, to get into it. So there's just kind of a gap there that we missed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, nothing fancy, you know, they didn't have the, the Sitka gear and they didn't have the, the Heather's choice and, you know, all the, all the fancy technology that we, we get obsessed with today. It was, you know, beanie weenies and a can of spam and a canteen of water. And you took the horses in and got an elk and packed it out. So uh, they made it look pretty simple. And so that was about the, the extent of my exposure, but you know, nothing like what it is today. So we didn't grow up rifle hunting, you know, Iowa is a shotgun state. So even just long range shooting was, was new to me when I got to Alaska, but, uh, as far as, uh, as far as that transition goes, you know, you just fishing was different. Uh, access to the outdoors was different. You know, hunting in the Midwest, it's all about private land access. Um, you know, I think Iowa and Nebraska are at, you know, like the, the second, third lo- on the on the bottom of the list of uh, public land states. You know, it's like 99% private land. And uh, so you get to Alaska, which is at the top, right? It's, it's like 99% public lands. And it's just a whole different exposure to, to the outdoors. You know, it's, it's actually very extreme, uh, even compared to, uh, you know, Colorado. Man, if, if you get lost, just keep walking. Like, you'll hit a town, you'll hit a road, you'll be fine. Uh, Alaska, you, you get lost you keep walking, you might even get more lost, right? It's, uh, it's definitely remote. It's wild. Um, and really I was just, since I was right out of college, you know, the first thing, you know, you, you got some money, you're getting steady paychecks, but by no means are you, you know, looking at flying into places and, and maybe, you know, for me personally, just the culture shock of what, what do I even do? Right. What, how do I even get involved? Since it is public land, people are a lot more private. It was kind of my first introduction to like your secret hunting spot. And, I, and people just don't go hunting together. It's like, you got to earn trust. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it took almost six years for uh, one of my buddies to finally invite me, you know, to go caribou hunt with him. So, but yeah, getting to, you know, back to the Alaska boots on the ground. Uh, I really just turned to fishing. It was just the easiest thing where you could uh, you know, fish about anywhere, you know, within, you know, 50 miles of Anchorage. Hell, hell you can even fish downtown Anchorage on Ship Creek there and, um, you know, catch some salmon and whatnot. But uh, got to got to know a guy, a guide in, um, in Kenai going out on a, on a vendor fishing trip. And, you know, really kind of turned to him to learn how to fish in Alaska and a few other coworkers and stuff. So that was really the, the kind of direction I took to get out into, uh, out into the, into the outdoors when it cut, you know, for just checking out different parts of the state and mostly South central Alaska, you know, sticking around the Kenai Peninsula and, and uh, the Matsu Valley up there outside of Wasilla and, and uh, even around Fairbanks. So nice. So you got some more like exposure to this. You said like the outdoor world, you thought you were kind of an outdoorsman growing up there in Iowa. And then it's like, you kind of see a whole different level and opportunity and uh, eventually work brings you back to the lower 48. And uh, then you kind of set your sets, set your sights on elk and start doing that what was what was the impetus there like what was the rest of the story that really got you into elk hunting once you were back in the lower 48 
Well, I mean, even, you know, you get up to Alaska and, you know, like you asked, you know, what was your exposure to what exposure to Western hunting? And you always watch the, the videos and the, you know, the sportsman's channel stuff. And you see these guys out there and they're, there's bagging 70 inch bull moose. Right. And you're, and everybody's like, man, that sounds great. Uh, I would like to do that someday. And then, you know, you get up to Alaska and you realize, yeah, I remember a coworker goes, you know, Hey, I, I shot a moose, uh, this weekend, you know, and you're like, cool, I want to see it. And you know, it's barely legal, right. It's, it's putting meat in the freezer. And so that was just kind of like, huh, you know, they're, they're not trophy hunting. That's weird. You know, like we trophy hunt in the Midwest, like it's big bucks. That's, that's what you do. Right. And so you just started this mentality and you start to kind of learn and watch and realize that fill in the freezer is more important than, uh, than how big the rack is. And then that moose hunting is actually incredibly hard um, and few and far in between, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a chore for sure. And so by then, like I said, getting into Colorado, um, I think this is when, you know, I think meat eater was getting heavy, you know, the conservation, the public lands, the, you know, this, that conversation is what was really starting to take off, or at least I was becoming more aware of it and, and finding more opportunities to learn about it because mm-hmm. Colorado is another public land state. And then it was also fun because I put in for the same unit um, that my stepdad and his friends would go on and, and I drew that tag, you know, so when this was, this is about 2016, 2015, I think, um, by no means was I in shape, you know, to do a, a backcountry hunt, you know, I was looking like, I want to do this backpack thing. Um, no horses. Uh, my stepdad talked about coming out. Uh, he, he ended up having to cancel last minute. So, you know, the gear I had was, I had one of those old Alaska guide packs with the big tube frame on it. Um, you know, just some basic camo type stuff. Uh, nothing fancy, you know, maybe a few things off camo fire, you know, that you picked up for cheap. And um, yeah, it, you know, you basically, again, I, I went into camp, I went in four miles and I felt like I was physically fit. Uh, yeah, I'd been doing TRX all summer. I felt like that was a good, easy workout. Um, you know, lose the pounds instead of carrying them in, you know, learn how to push and pull your own body weight. Uh, but mentally, I mean, you get in there and you're, you're four miles in, you go out for a couple of day hikes, you know, maybe a couple of miles and you realize the elk are deeper than you thought they would ever be. And then you start thinking, do I need to do that? You know, should a solo hunter do that on his first time. So I spent a couple of nights out there and then, then the season was over. Right. You know, I just went back home. Yeah. So you, you were totally solo. I know you said your father-in-law bailed, but I didn't know if you were like headed into a camp where other guys were there, you know, his buddies, but you were completely on your own then. <laughs> Yeah, no, they, uh, he was going to come out, but, uh, and he was just going to hike in with me and, and maybe just do some road hunting stuff. But, uh, um, nope, that was just me. I ran into an outfitter, you know, or a couple guys on horses and, and mm. that was about it. Did you, did you have, do you feel like maybe you had some prior experiences, maybe in Alaska where kind of being solo and in somewhat of a remote circumstance or in the back country, were you familiar with that? Or were you totally intimidated by that last minute change of, Oh, my father-in-law's out. If I want to go, I have to go solo. Was that a hard jump for you to make? Um, you know, I think the, I think you just kind of sit here and go, wow, we were going to split the load. You know, we were going to share packing in things and now I got to carry it all. Right. And it's, I had like an almost 6,000 cubic inch pack. And for some reason I thought I need to fill it all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got like a 50 pound pack, which yeah. by now I've realized, uh, is insane. Right. Dude, that's but, like uh, so common though. And it's, it, it, we get it. And it's, 
I get where guys are coming from, but we get calls all the time of guys going, man, like at least in, you know, to keep it exo like in our line and it's similar with some other pack systems but for us it's like the biggest pack really isn't that much heavier than say a 4800 like and so guys see that and like why don't i get a 6400 if it's you know <laughs> only four ounces heavier and the part of the answer to that is man don't get it if you truly don't need the space because you will fill it or you'll be super prone to fill it and yeah, yeah then you end up carrying a 40 pound day pack yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right. And then, you know, that's just like the little, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, trial and error. You know, I'd say any new yep. elk hunter, best expect, way to learn. The, expect the first couple of years to be glorified camping trips or scouting trips. And you're going to figure out if, uh, you know, how a pack rubs on you, you're going to figure out if you're even physically fit enough to do it. And, um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, so you go in, go out and, and that's it. You know, it's fun. It's a good learning experience and beautiful country. And, um, the next year I, uh, didn't draw anything. I was unsuccessful there. Uh, so I decided to, uh, do archery, uh, over the counter. Okay. Uh, so this, that first hunt you said you drew, that was a rifle tag. That was a rifle. It was first season rifle and, uh, and definitely, um, a great season too. It was a great tag. It was, it was cool to get it. It's uh, unsuccessful the following year. Yeah. And so, I'm sure why sorry. going back to that first one, sorry, you mentioned you were kind of in there a couple or a few days. Was that you were just short on time or you just, you essentially did what you could, you know, with the knowledge and experience and the comfort level you had at that time. Yeah, I did what I could, you know, the, when those, when those two guys on horseback, uh, they come, they come back down the trail with a, a rack on their pack horse or their mule. And I said, uh, where were they? I saw a cow go over, over the ridge, uh, this morning and he goes, yeah, we were over that ridge. And then I I'm like, geez, that's, that's another six miles, mm-hmm. you know, and which is, is in that area is like 12,000, 13,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So I just said, that's, I could hike there. That'd be no problem. But what happens when I decide to take a shot, you know, should I take a shot? Got it. So you just kind of yeah. talk yourself out of it. You know, mm-hmm. you, and I think we've all been there. There's, there's a hundred excuses to get out. And mm-hmm. I took, I, it didn't take me long to, to give in to those excuses. Yeah. Well, yes. Like I fully agree with everything you just said. And that's a, a struggle newer hunters face and even with experience you may continue to face and then it's only magnified when you're solo because you're the one making decisions by yourself you kind of don't have the call it peer pressure to stick things out but you also made a wise decision in the sense that you didn't go in there six more miles and then shoot something and then you realize now you're hosed right because you are so right. so on one hand you you had true limitations um but yes i, I fully agree with everything you said about it's easy to, it's easy to find an excuse. It's easy for excuses to come to you and it's easy to give into it for sure. Especially when there, especially when there's a great brewery and a, and a pizza joint, you know, in town. <laughs> right. and so, but uh, yeah. And, and that's kind of the other thing is, uh, you know, so I get into, I wasn't really a big archery hunter um, growing up. I'd sit in a stand whitetail hunt a little bit, and, but you know, I had one, I, I did a little bit in Alaska, nothing successful or nothing. I would say I'm, I'm an archery hunter by any means, just a multi-weapon, you know, you got the options if you need them type of a guy. And, uh, so I'm like, well, I'll take my bow and, you know, uh, go try archery season. You know, it's a longer season, not as much pressure, um, as far as, uh, you know, only having nine to 10 days, you know, get a whole month and, you can kind of go in and out and I'll just use it as another opportunity to get out and explore some new areas. And so I, I made some upgrades. I think at this point I got out of that Alaska guide pack and I, I went for a Tenzing pack, um, which seemed to be cool at the time, but, uh, you know, I think I had on X now. Um, and I don't mean to name drop all this stuff, but oh, you're fine. And it, you're uh, at this point, you're living in Colorado still, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with archery season a month long, you're looking at it, like you said, you kind of go in and out, you can go for three or four days, come back, get some work done, bounce around again. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so I get out there 
and I find a, a nice campground uh, that I could hike in and out of, um, just kind of do some scouting, do some exploring and, and try to do some bugling. And, you know, you get out there and it's your first time at actually getting out and having to bugle. So I rip off a bugle and then another bugle uh, rips off out in the distance. I'm like, is that, a, is that an elk or is that someone else? Yeah. You know, I have no idea. And so I just kind of go out, walk around a little bit for the day, but you know, I get back to camp and I get an email and uh, it's an anticipated uh, move notice, right? I, I knew I was going to be getting transferred to Omaha for another assignment, another, another project. And I get it, you know, while I'm out there. So I was like, Oh, great. You know, cool. But then the next day I'm out hiking around and it's like, all I can think about is packing and moving and, and getting real estate agents. And, you know, I, I, my mind just checked out again, um, totally distracted, not in the moment, you know, and then here comes the excuses again. It's, well, you're really not that invested in this. You're just kind of out here and you could be more productive, getting ready to sell your house and, and pack up your things and, uh, wrap up, uh, you know, your current assignment with your project team and, and get them ready to, to hand it off to someone else and, you know, just all that stuff. So again, another couple days out in the, out in the field and, um, talk myself into going home again. So, yeah, dude, total side note. I absolutely do not like hunting when I have cell service. Uh, it's so funny in like the areas where, especially in a multi-day hunt, obviously if I'm bouncing in and out of places where I have cell service, I just try as much as possible not to turn that sucker on because of what you just said. It's so easy to get reconnected and then distracted or demotivated or just honestly preoccupied, right? You're just putting something else on your mind. Um, and so just for guys like if you are hunting in areas where you have cell service or it's in and out or what have you, like it truly from personal experience, it makes a big difference on being disconnected from that versus engaging with that. And that's one reason for me, like something that in reach is kind of the perfect sweet spot because I can send my wife a message, check in. She can let me know if something's truly happening. Like it's just enough connection, but I'm not bothering with email or social media or any of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Cause that, I mean, it, it's easy to overlook it because we're so used to being connected and engaged, but what you gain when you even just mentally are removed from that is so valuable. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of the podcasts, you know, out there talk about, you know, before you leave for a week or two, you make sure your, your home life is in order and everything's good. And, but, you know, at the time I was a department head for a, a $2 billion construction project, you know? So it's one of those things where you got to make sure work is in order too, to where, you know, you feel comfortable that your team can handle your absence and especially for extended, I mean, you're definitely entitled to your, your paid time off. Um, but it, it does no good to, to try to work, you know, while you're, you're out there. Uh, and then a little different in this situation, right? It's, uh, it's like you're, you're getting moved, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of nice after 10 years to um, kind of full circle and have an opportunity to come back home. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was year two elk hunting, you know, got back and then so made the move to Omaha, <clears throat> got back to the Midwest. And uh, I guess I should add too. Um, jumping back a little bit when I moved to Colorado, um, my stepdad and, and stepbrother had been going out to Western Nebraska into the Sandhills and mule deer hunt. So I got to, um, meet them out there, um, just make the drive from Denver and start, start mule deer hunting where we really could start getting good at, you know, the rifle shooting, the accuracy. And, and I really credit, uh, that hunt, those hunts I do every year. I go out to Western Nebraska and we got, uh, I, I now have access to uh, a, a friend's family's ranch. It's, it's a 43,000 acre cattle ranch and <clears throat> just awesome, you know, and, and we help them brand every year uh, if we can. Uh, just, just 
being part of the the efforts. It's you know the real deal and where your beef comes from, right? So um, being able to go out and mule deer hunt, uh, take advantage of that is is uh, was kind of the lighter side of quote unquote Western hunting, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest you can get in the Midwest to uh, to that style of of outdoors without getting into the mountains and the uh, the high altitude stuff. So, um, so 2017, I, I just focused on the, the mule deer hunting and then getting back into the, the whitetail hunting, um, which was interesting because by now I was, I was starting to formulate, you know, or starting to be more opinionated on the methods and, and ways of we hunted growing up. Right. You know, in what ways we didn't have that. <clears throat> well, we didn't have the, you know, our hunting group when we push and drove deer, we just didn't necessarily, we didn't have, we had a small group, right? We had like six or eight people. If that were some of those orange armies that I mentioned circling timbers with like 30 guys, 20, 30 guys. And, uh, we had a pretty small group, but I'm just thinking, you know, is like pushing deer, uh, like, is it ethical? Is it sport? Is it sporting? Is it fair? Is it safe? You know, there's mm-hmm. by now I, I've really just kind of developed a, a better sense of the outdoors and conservation and, and hunting and, and how it all ties together to kind of, you know, become part of a lifestyle and less about a, just a hobby or just an add on to, to something you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a, it was my stepdad and his friend and then, and his friend's uh, nephew, you know, who's a younger getting into hunting. So it's like, we went, we, we pushed, you know, a couple guys through a timber, but just to get the kid a little experience and, and get some action going. Right. So, but eventually I just kind of, it was kind of like, man, this is, this isn't how I want to hunt. You know, this is, I'd rather, you know, pick up a bow and sit in a tree stand and, um, I'm also not a, a big game cam guy, uh, trail cam guy, just because I like that element of surprise, you know, fair chase, just putting yourself in the best opportunity um, and seeing what happens, right? Uh, actually, uh, I get a little bit of a, an opportunity. We live on 100 acres here in the Los Hills of Iowa. And we got pasture land, we got timber, we got creek bottom. You know, so we see deer and they pass through here when got some conservation land that backs up to us. So it's, it's kind of a nice setup, but, um, I also, you know, just really want to take that, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but just the skills and the, the sense of, uh, just how deer move and how nature works, I, I guess, and put it all together, right. You just, times of days and uh, you, you see trails and sign if you're out walking the pasture and you take note of uh, what you're seeing and, and what you're doing and what and how it's happening and you kind of just when it's time to use your tag going out and 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 seeing how you and seeing what happens you know mm-hmm. it's not necessarily you know naming the deer on the property like you'll drop time and you know that's that's my deer right I saw him on my trail cam on my property. And that's my, deal. so, uh, it's more about the experience and the adventure, I guess, for me than it is about, uh, necessarily punching the ticket anymore. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I mean, it's, you know, still hunting in the Midwest myself. It, it just changes things. And it's not about like Midwest hunting versus Western hunting. Even if I, I think what happened was though, I got exposed to different styles and ways of hunting that affected my mindset about how I then hunt in the Midwest and hunt whitetail and realize that there's more options than just tree stands and things like that. And even if it's not as effective, the method and the process for how you are trying to get to an end result is much more important than do you get to that end result or not. And so how I hunt is much more important than if I kill something to me. Um, and I think that's just a journey that 
people, a fair amount of people go through. Um, but yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. It's like you, you like just to keep it in context of your home, like you could be more effective theoretically if you ran trail cameras or did this or did that. But I totally get what you're saying on you just want to be more a part of like nature and the process and uh, kind of see what happens and obviously do some things to uh, put odds in your favor, but not just remove the adventure from it either. Yeah. And, and you're right. You know, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of opinions and things you can, you know, we got, you know, I know a lot of people that will show you a picture of a, a genetically enhanced, non-typical whitetail, you know, in the, in, out of Texas or something. And they're like, I, re- they're like, I really enjoy hunting. Like, this is my passion. This is my hot, like, I just, I love it. Right. And they show you a picture and you're, and you're just like, how high is the fence, you know, and did it tickle when they ate out of the palm of your hand. And, but, you know, and that's just their version of hunting and that's fine. Right. It's, and that's what we got to, you know, we're all trying to achieve the same thing and looking for the same experiences. And I personally have chosen probably the hardest way uh, to experience it. Right. Um, and, you know, probably you can, you can appreciate, you know, the, the back country backpack solo stuff. It's, it, it is probably the hardest way, right. You're just trying to do what nobody else wants to do. Um, I know you had, uh, uh, you just had a podcast on being too comfortable, uh, but uh, he was on, also on Rogan. Yeah. Michael Easter. Michael Easter. Yes. And, and he's spot on. I mean, he, I don't want to be comfortable, right? I don't want to be comfortable in my, my heated tree stand or my, uh, cushy chair on the ground blind. You know, I I just think all good stories start with a little bit of misery. Um, being outdoors is, uh, is you gotta be a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, and nowadays it's, you know, if you ever heard, you know, there's no such thing as poor weather, just poorly dressed people. Right. So, uh, with everything we have available, it's, you can be comfortable. Um, you know, that's all the gear is doing is just help you be comfortable, but you know, you got to put yourself in some challenging and uncomfortable positions. If you want to you know, truly make good memories, in my opinion, for sure. Um, so moving on, I guess, you know, the, I took a year off from the, the elk hunting, and then came, you know, 2018 comes around and one of my best friends uh, asked, he goes, Hey, I, I want to get into Western hunting. You know, I'm sure what sparked it or what, what's fueling. He just maybe heard some of my stories and like what I was doing. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, we put in for uh, the, my, the same unit I've been hunting in, uh, in Colorado and as a group tag and we draw i think this was second season uh rifle and you know he was really it seemed really excited he uh one of my fun or favorite stories is he goes hey i want to get a new rifle what should i get you know and i said uh you know a 30-06 is is very popular if you want to shoot anything from deer to elk to, to moose i mean it's got a wide range of ballistics um, by no means am I, uh, you know, a, an expert in, in the gun conversation, but, uh, it's, it, it works for me. That's what I carry. Um, I also would recommend a 300 wind mag, you know, and you can't go wrong. I mean, any of those would be great guns just to be versatile for deer, elk, whatever you need. So he goes out and he gets a 338 Lapua. <laughs> it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I go, what? Why? And he goes, well, I want to make sure it's dead. I'm like, there's gonna be nothing left of a deer. You know, I think the the lowest grain uh, bullet was something somewhere around 212 or 220. And and I go, I can get like a hundred grain round for my 30 out six, all the way up to like 230 or 240 or something like that. And and uh, he goes, well, you know, it's gonna be dead, dead, dead. And uh, you know, he's asking me about packs. He goes, Hey, a guy at work gave me this pack. He uses it for rocking. It's from his military days. And 
it's so strong you could tie two cheeps together and tow tow it tow with it. So I start to ask a few more questions and uh, kind of found out he's getting advice and information from a retired sniper, military sniper. So of course a 338 Lapua is going to be great for a sniper, and of course military grade uh, backpack is cool and tough, and and that's yeah. that's my friend, right? He's always the the Tim Allen more power. It's kind of everything needs to be cooler and bigger and badder and and that and that's just him so so we're getting closer to the elk hunt i'm starting to question you know his fitness i'm starting to question you know if he's like if he understands what we're getting into um you know i keep sharing as much as i can he talks about i'll just sleep on the ground uh, i don't need a sleeping pad and we talk about thermal you know kind of transfer and losing heat and right i had an extra one so i gave that to him so we get we get about 45 well i forget it might have been 90 days out um he breaks his hand at work and uh basically his rehab puts us into elk season and uh, we, we have like seven days to decide if we're gonna try to go or if we're going to uh, turn the tags back in. So he decides it's just, he's unsure and he kind of talks himself out of it. So we turn the tags back in and get a refund. And, and really the lesson on that one is and never turn a tag back in. You know, I, I should have went by myself again. I uh, should have figured it out, but you know, maybe just to show a little compassion for him, you know, we just said, we'll both not go. We'll stay home. Yeah. So that was, that uh, was, (laughs) we hear from guys a lot on, you know, trying to find a buddy to go on a hunt with or stories of like where things went wrong. And, uh, you know, it's perfectly fine to have like a really good friend that you do stuff with, or maybe even hunt with like if, if you're Midwest guys like at home. Right. But taking a trip on a backcountry trip or an out of state hunt, it's, it's just the next level. And, uh, it's just a good example. Like you kind of, in that story, you picked up on some like red flags early, like, um, uh, maybe this isn't like great or right. Like there's some caution to a guy who's like, yeah, I'm just going to sleep on the ground, you know, or, or makes decisions that don't seem too wise. And some of that is, uh, can just be ignorance, which is fine because guys are learning. Um, but if there's like too many red flags going on, like just, I just want to encourage guys not to be afraid to have like a difficult conversation, which can be awkward because you could be dealing with a good friend who, again, you may continue to be best friends at home, but that doesn't mean that, that it's going to be a great fit for, you know, a backcountry trip per se. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, that, and then, you know, there's just not a lot of people even just say like, Hey, you want to tag along? Like anybody can hike. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there's just not a lot of people that are interested in hiking in, you know, uh, six, seven miles. I mean, a lot of people say one or two is backcountry hunting, um, you know, four, five, six, you know, gets in there. And then you got some people that, you know, that they're willing to go in, you know, 12 or 15 miles, um, which is easy to go in. It's, you got to just be prepared to come out. So, it's, uh, it, yeah, it was, and it never came up again. So, <laughs> but, uh, so we got through that year and then, I mean, in, in the middle of all this, you know, I'm just absorbing as much information, you know, just reading, listening, watching, asking questions, you know, trial and error type stuff. And, and I pretty much have dialed in my, gear i don't think we ever will fully dial it in we're always adding and upgrading but um 2020 comes around and you know i kind of get into it's getting close to father's day and i have drawn a tag i drew a tag again for second rifle season in the same area and i just said no more excuses this is it uh, what's it gonna take Right. So I decide, uh, I was sitting at the golf course and 
I decided that the Coors Light I had in my hand was the last uh, sip of alcohol I was going to have, right? Until an elk was on the ground. So I was just starting to give myself this little challenge, this little ultimatum. Plus I got, you know, in July, my son was expected to be born and I felt like, you know, just being the best I could be. There's, there's just a lot of good that's going to come out of, uh, you know, eliminating some distractions in my life and, and just focusing on getting ready for this hunt, being there for him, being at whatever it's sleep schedule, staying up late, just make sure I can go. And, uh, and I also, uh, had met a guy who, um, had a llama outfitter, uh, there in, in Colorado. So working with him, decided to rent a couple llamas. I was going to take him with me because I, I, I knew I had to go deep, right? I, I knew this area well. I knew where the elk were going to be. Um, and so I go, I need, I need, I'm going to need help, right? So I, I rented some llamas and, um, you know, getting up to the opening day, I had spent two days uh, acclimating, just taking my time going in on the trail. Tell you what, if, if, if anybody who thinks llamas is, is a joke or is insane is wrong. <laughs> Those suckers are, are the best thing uh, I've ever uh, got to test out. You know, you hear all about it. You will see them on TV and YouTube and um, they're the real deal. Uh, hmm. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to use them or not, but I haven't. No, I've, we've used pack goats actually. And uh, they're not nearly obviously as, as capable as a llama. A uh, llama is going to carry much more than a goat, but uh, I've always heard that llamas, you know, definitely can be, uh, have a bit of their own mind, be strong willed, be a little bit kind of like rambunctious. And so, especially with you being solo, I was kind of curious to hear more about that and what, how it went for you. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, you know, growing up with horses my, my entire life um, and my stepdad taking horses in, he, he thought I was just insane. He's like, nothing beats a good horse. I go, well, you have to take in certified hay. You know, you got to make sure they have plenty of water. Um, you know, they, they get spooked. I mean, you could be walking down a trail, riding a horse and it sees a bush the wrong way and it stops, you know? And so you know, and we actually got to test this, uh, or I got to test this. We, we, uh, as the hiking up the trail, the, the outfitter actually gave me an extra llama. So I had three llamas and they just, uh, follow in line. And again, the, the trick is you could put stuff on them. You could put a bunch of gear, uh, in their bags. Uh, but then again, you got to make sure you have room. So you just, whatever you put on them, make sure that you can put on yourself when you, when you hike back out, if you do get a bowl down, but, uh, we come up, we come up to, uh, an outfitter, a couple guys on horses again, and, and they got a, they're packing out a bowl from first season and their horses just are spooked. They're light footed. They're just uneasy. They're not having the llamas and the llamas don't even know the horses are there. They don't care. They're, they're eating bark off the trees. They're nibbling at anything they can get their lips on. And they're just like, can we keep going or what are we doing? You know, that's kind of where you talk about that strong will or that attitude. It's just like we're llamas and this is who we are, right? We're not worried about you horses and, or anything. So, um, you know, we get, I get to the first stop. Uh, you just stake them down on a long rope and take the the panniers off and and the bags and they just graze and do their thing, set up camp and you know go at it uh, the next day. So I took two days before season to to get twelve miles in, and um, which put me uh, my next campsite put me where I wanted to be opening morning. So I just basically had the llamas tied up and my tent, uh, set up. And I just, uh, walked out from there. I walked about a, I think it was probably two or three miles from the end of the trail. But, uh, as I was walking up the trail, um, to get above tree line, um, I saw a cow, 
uh, run across trail and up the side of the hill and said I was a follower and um, got up and found elk. So the first time since I started this conversation that uh, I have actually found elk and you're just kind of taken, right? It's like, I've done it. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is success, right? So I spent a little time glassing and seeing what's out there. Uh, I could see a, a small raghorn bull sitting down by himself on uh, kind of a frozen waddle area or just kind of a flat plateau area there. And, and then uh, there's another bull, you know, about four or 500 yards up on the side of the mountain with a few cows uh, bedded down, uh, just sunning with him. And then a couple cows here and there, you know, so I see maybe like eight elk total and two bulls. And at this point, you know, I just want to fill my tag. Uh, and I felt like the smaller raghorn was the best opportunity. It was closer. There were just his eyes. There are no other eyes around him looking. Uh, so I kind of get in position, um, move along the tree line a little bit. And then I kind of opened up a, a different vantage point after I've shifted my position and saw more elk. And this, this group appeared to have the herd bull. There's three bulls and one was significantly bigger than all of them. And they were closer. They were up the hill. I think I ranged them about 360, 369 and felt confident, felt like I could make that shot um, with the, the weapon I had. Uh, conditions felt good. Uh, so I got in the prone position, threw my pack down, um, used that as a bench rest and uh, pulled the trigger and they, they kind of jumped and spooked. And uh, what I thought was maybe a dozen elk on the hillside turned into about 50. Mm. Like they just all came running down the mountain, got another shot at the bull. Um, Again, nothing, nothing seemed like I hit him, Uh, you know, felt like a great shot and uh, they all, they all herded up down at the bottom and then they kind of realized what was going on. And then they, they ran over the hill and down the Valley and up over the, the other side and over the Ridge and gone. So going out there checking for blood and see if I had to find any sign. The wind was just kind of blowing a little stronger than in the tree line. So I was thinking, man, maybe the wind pushed it, you know, maybe my guns off, maybe my scopes off. I don't know, but I didn't find any blood spent the next couple hours just kind of watching and looking and moving around and, and, uh, you know, just kind of catching my breath. Cause I'm like, man, that was so cool. And, uh, I get a text message on my inreach, um, from the llama outfitter. He goes, unsure where you're at. Just note that 20 plus inches of snow is forecasted for this area. So here comes that safety decision, right? It's, like, do I go back to my tent? You know, I'm at 13,000 feet. Um, what do I do? And it's like, I'm by myself. And he was kind of stressing llamas aren't really good in deep snow. So he's a little, you know, not never really passive aggressive, but you know, that how are my llamas type of a thing? Like yeah. I prefer you got to lower elevation and maybe not put them in that position, right? Nor yourself. So I uh, pack up and we head down the mountain. Um, then as I as I get down, I get a little reception or uh, maybe the inReach. Uh, I forget if it has that capability, but the weather forecast, it's like it does, yeah. 20 plus inches of snow and like single digit sub-zero temperatures are coming for the, for the rest of the week. So I'm like, oh crap, you know, I'm not prepared for this. Um, you know, I got a three season tent. I got, I got a a 20 degree bag. Uh, I'm just going to get back to the truck. So you get back to town and I I dropped the llamas off and I'm like, I'll just get a hotel and wait a couple days. And he said, Hey, if you want to go back out, just, they'll be waiting for you. You know, you, you can come back and get them. He's really cool. You know, real nice guy. Um, Fortunately sold his business. So I don't have that option in that area anymore, but 
um, got to find a new llama guy, you know, <laughs> real world problems here. But, uh, yeah, the temperature and the weather just kept getting worse and worse. And, and again, uh, th- that was the season. That was it. So, uh, you know, I had three days, I think two, again, two overnights, but I would call myself 99 or 95% successful on that one. And, um, you just kind of realize like, you know, everything it's like trying to lose weight, you know, it's, it's hard to get in that routine, but once you start seeing results, you're addicted. Mm. And, and so to, to, to see all that come together after a few years, um, and then, you know, 2021 was just really an over the counter again, scout thing, weather was bad. Second rifle season, uh, or sorry, 2020, I think yeah, I'm off a couple of years here. 2019 was the llama year. 2020 would be last year where I just did an over the counter, uh, you know, biologist, the local biologist pointed me in a couple areas that hold elk and so they'd be good opportunities, but it was single digit blizzard conditions again. So not a lot of more hotel stays and just day hikes than, uh, than anything. Yeah. So you laid out here over the course of a handful of years, kind of a journey as an elk hunter that hasn't yet culminated in killing an elk. But again, as we started, like, this is the story of a ton of guys and, you know, isn't the story that gets told all the time on, on videos or even on podcasts, what have you, but everything you've mentioned is incredibly realistic from you know, starting with basic gear and certain capabilities, but having limitations, uh, to then gaining both more experience, more knowledge, more capabilities in terms of gear, uh, enduring kind of the struggles of being solo and, or figuring things out with a partner, uh, having close calls, right? Like finally putting it together and locating elk, maybe making, um, some shooting, call it mistakes, if you will. And I'm not throwing that at you. I've been there, done that myself, but yeah, all this to say like, man, this is just like, so real for what a lot of guys are going through. And I think you covered it well there at the end, but what I want to get at is like, what keeps you going? Like, I think you mentioned, you basically have had enough experience and like a taste of success now. Is that really what's driving you or what's keeping you pushing forward? Well, I'm an incredibly competitive person and, and, and it's hard to lose and hard to say, you know, to quit, even though you know, a couple of those, uh, stories, you know, they, I quit early. I gave into the, the mental stress or the mental fatigue and, and, you know, it, for me, you know, you spend, you spend six years doing you know, the track and field thing and at a collegiate level, you're training hard, but that's why you train, right. Is to, to be a, to perform at your best ability. And that's just somebody who that's who I am. Like I need, I need that motivation to, um, you know, to perform, um, you know, I go back saying I was a safety or I am a safety professional. And a lot of people think, you know, Oh, OSHA and personal protective equipment and sending people home and, and things like that. But, you know, it's really, um, you know, I try to provide the best environment for people to be successful and it starts with human performance, you know, and, uh, and to listen to, um, you know, a lot of these podcasts that I know you got a nutrition guy that, that comes on. Uh, those are, those are some good podcasts, but then, then it's like, yeah, grab a Gatorade. I'm like what? Like that's not that's not making you the best possible person, right? That's making you worse. Like the the amount of sugar in that product is insanely high, you know. And and we, I just I just use the backcountry hunting as my in, inspiration or my motivation to be as physically fit and mentally tough. Um, which radiates into your day-to-day life. Um, the last podcast you had uh, was, was inter- interesting on the scouting and uh, nothing against anybody's personal decisions. Uh, but when you got somebody going in scouting and then essentially maybe you're trophy hunting, but maybe you're there to fill the freezer because it's, you know, you, you know where your source your meat from. And it's, it's quote unquote, organic ish, 
And, uh, but then you eat, you're, you're good to eat at McDonald's and Taco Bell and Subway. You know, it's, it's kind of having more intent um, and just creating your, your own culture and saying that, yeah, uh, hunting is a hobby. A lot of people do, but I turn it into a lifestyle. Like when I'm in the gym, it's, it's to get ready for the back country. It's not 30 days before the back country. It's, it's all the time, you know, and by no means would I call myself, uh, an, an expert in fitness or nutrition, but it's being informed on, uh, you know, the things that are going to help you be successful, right? It's, it's creating the best possible environment for you to, to achieve success. And, um, I think that goes into a lot of things, a lot of the experts you've had on a lot of the different conversations you've had on the podcast, um, you know, it all has to be one, it's kind of one organic thing. And, and, and that's what fuels me, right? It's, it's getting, uh, just excited for that one week or two weeks out of the year, but knowing that you said, Hey, let's go now. I'm ready to go. Not hold on. Give me a week. I like it. So where, where does that leave you moving forward? I think it was funny. We, you know, we're exchanging emails uh, prior and you, you're like, I think I'm one of the like self-proclaimed. I'm a pretty good elk hunter. That's never killed an elk. Like as you just said, you're in good shape, still sober, still determined. Uh, so how are you looking at the future? Um, let me rephrase the question. Cause I think you, you hit on how you're looking at the future from a practical level what are you trying to do to create that success? So with the experiences you've had, with the lessons you've learned, what do you feel is going to make the most difference for you to, to fill the tag, to fill the freezer? And then how are you addressing that? Well, this year I've, I've invested in upgrading my archery equipment. Um, I got a new Hoyt on the way. They're taking forever. I think it's Which common one did you get, right by the now way? for I got the Venom 33. You're going to like it. I tried it at Shields and uh, I, I, it's like a good pair of boots. You're just like, well, I can't take these off now. Yeah. I, I don't think I've even mentioned this on the podcast, but that's the bow that I went with this year. And honestly, with I've been shooting Hoyt for a while now and I don't get a new bow every year. Uh, and often, well, if I find something, just stick with it for a bit. But I've been shooting their carbon stuff. And this year, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, I think I just want to try the venom. Like just, yeah, I just want to try it. And, yeah. There's uh, nothing wrong with aluminum. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, I shot one. We're not, we're not going to know the difference. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but dude, I've been just again, generally so happy with that bow. It's uh, it's give, like, it's one of those things that like you said with boots where it's just kind of like an instant fit almost um, like even from an early on, I just, was like it was easy for me to build confidence with that bow nice i'm looking forward to it it it, uh it ships here at the end of this month so it gives me a couple months to to get it dialed in and i got a buddy that uh used to own an archery shop that still has all his stuff so he's gonna help me get it set up but um but yeah you know and i and i decided archery this year because again it gives the most time um, and my main goal is to stay out as long as I possibly can. No excuses, right? No work problems, no home problems, no uh, bad weather. You know, that I've learned that second, uh, you know, if you're going to go second rifle, uh, you know, that's a good opportunity maybe to put up a wall tent, have a travel trailer, do the side-by-side, cruise the roads, you know, maybe take kids and turn it into kind of like a family, you know, because the weather is just unpredictable at that time of year in, in, in the mountains. And, and so September can be unpredictable, but I'd rather, I know I can, I know I can put up with the weather in September compared to late October. Hmm. So that, that's really my goal right now is just to give myself, um, work on that mental toughness of staying out in, uh, the mountains, um, you know, seven days, nine days, you know, whatever it takes, you know, but, uh, you know, it's going to be over the counter again this year. Uh, so doing a lot of the e-scouting, I'll go out in July and do some, 
some scouting around uh, for for a week or so. And but uh, you know, looking over statistics and you know anything over the counter in Colorado is pretty much ten percent or less on on harvest statistics. You know, and and again, that's ten percent or five percent of the people who who hunted and who got something right. It's uh, that's the fun thing about statistics is you can kind of look at them however you want, but, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I like, uh, you know, explore some new areas and you try to, I and mean, that's the beauty of the Onyx maps is, is look at where the roads are at and then, you know, figure out where most of the people are going to be driving and then try to figure out where a lot of people can easily hike and then, where they don't want to and you know maybe a little further maybe a little higher uh, but that's that's what i'm preparing for right it's uh it's having the right diet the right workout routine uh, you know i supplement with the wilderness athlete products uh you know we even we even cross that into our i mean we've even brought the hydrate and recover into our workplace for our, our working athletes. You know, it's, I've made it a lifestyle for myself at work. I've made it lifestyle uh, personally. I've, I'm sharing it with our, our frontline uh, construction workers. You know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's everything you do. Uh, that's where, um, that's where I think I, that's just who I am. I'm, and, and again, not to, you know, shameless plugs, but to start this whole elk journey, I was just kind of looking for something to do. And I think I saw the first advertisement of wilderness athlete in like 2015 or 14. And I go, man, that sounds like some, like somebody I want to be, you know, it just seemed like a, the perfect definition of the lifestyle that I could get behind. And and that's just kind of where it's at today. I just, I want to be uh, physically and mentally tough enough to, to get out there and do it. And then obviously uh, allow myself to keep doing it for many years to come. That's awesome, man. I'm excited to, uh, yeah, excited to hear how it goes. I appreciate you like sharing your experience and journey uh, so far and uh again that's that's only so far that's not the end of the story yeah. so we'll, well, we'll have to get we you back a... yeah get you back on here and tell some more stories but uh it's been good i honestly you've hit on so much that's going to apply to to so many people listening to this but uh just want to ask and the answer can be no is there any one thing that comes to mind uh that you haven't touched on that you would just kind of like encourage guys with who are maybe in a similar situation a lot of people make excuses, I guess, for a lot of things. And, um, you know, if, if you think the on X subscription is expensive or you think Sitka gear or, or buying an XO pack, um, you got the money, you know, it's, you might have to give up some things and obviously giving up alcohol, right. That was a huge expense. And, and I'm not telling anybody to quit drinking. You know, I'm not sitting here saying that it was court ordered or I found Jesus or, I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore. Right. It's it self-imposed, but I think having, having the right intentions and, and being very uh, realistic of, uh, you know, if you want to elk hunt, then you gotta, you gotta make it a priority to, to set yourself up for success. Right. You're not gonna, some people get lucky. Um, you can obviously go buy an elk if you want to with the right amount of money, but if you want to do this DIY stuff, um, invest in your success and there's plenty of opportunities to do that. And there's plenty of people to help you make those decisions and, um, you know, make it your lifestyle, make it about everything you do because it's going to radiate. Uh, you know, if you're getting, you're getting in the gym to get ready for elk hunting, it's going to help you sleep better just day to day. It's going to help you wake up better. It's going to help you, uh, think more clear throughout the day. I mean, there's so many benefits to using uh, Western hunting as your motivation just to stay healthy and stay active in your day-to-day life. So I guess that'd be my, my takeaway. It's just 
stop thinking about punching the tag. Just think about being able to get out there and do it and staying out there. Well, there you have it, guys. That's a wrap on this episode, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Don't forget, if you want to reach out to us with a story, a question, or some feedback on the show, just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.